are listening to the Central Students Podcast. To learn more about Central Students, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students. So this week, we have the fun opportunity of talking about uh, mental health. And uh, I talked about this last week, um, but... You know, it, it can be difficult, right, as Christians to be able to for, have, formulate biblical uh, responses to questions, especially about topics when the Bible does not directly address them, right? So, like, there's not really a place you're going to go into the Bible that's going to give you all the specific answers that you want on the question of mental health or, or mental, you know, or mental health, mental disabilities, you know, all the um, mental, uh, man, I'm thinking of a certain word that is slipping my mind right now. Uh, huh? Mental illness, there it is, somebody said it. Uh, so <laughs> mental illness, mental health, all these different things, right? So it's kind of hard to know what does the Bible have to say about these things. However, the Bible is full of answers. We talked about this last week, right? How scripture is sufficient to answer all of your questions, right? So Scripture is sufficient, sufficient to answer questions. Now, another thing that I want you to understand, this is also a doctrinal idea, is not only is Scripture sufficient, but Scripture is infallible, inerrant, and also it is cohesive, okay? Now, let me explain what that means. When I say infallible, right, it is impossible to lead you to error, right? When followed and interpreted correctly, it does not lead you to error. When I say it is inerrant, that means that it is 100% without error. And when I say that it is cohesive, that means that there is nothing in the Bible that contradicts itself, no matter, even if people think that it does, and they may say that it does, it doesn't, okay? Now, here's why I mentioned that to you, because there are a lot of times that you guys ask me questions, right? You guys ask me a lot of questions. Just out of curiosity, raise your hand if you have either asked me, you've asked me in person or texted me a question over the past, like, several months. Okay, so most of the room, right? Here's the thing, and a lot of you ask questions, and a lot of you ask extremely good questions that can be difficult to answer on the spot, right? So it's like, you know, or like some of you, like you text me questions and like, I got to think about it a little bit, but like you caught me in like a bad moment. So like you, you think I ignored your text, but I didn't, right? It just takes me a little bit to kind of think about it and how, do, how do I going to put this into text and all this stuff, right? So, uh, so what, whenever I'm asked these questions, what we're going to do tonight is I want to show you what my brain does to answer these questions. And ultimately, what I'm trying to do is help you to understand how can you interpret Scripture correctly in a way that allows you to do the same. Okay? Does that make sense? So instead of feeding you tonight, I'm going to try and teach you how to cook dinner. All right? If that makes sense. Okay? So when it comes to mental health, what, what is some popular ideas when it comes to mental health today? What are, what are some thoughts that are out there in culture when it comes to mental health? Just start sh- shouting stuff out. Huh? Depression. Suicide. Huh? Therapy. Medication. Anxiety. Stress. PTSD. What? I heard somebody say something. Yoga. Okay. 
or aromatherapy, or I've heard a lot of other, uh, uh, what is it, acupuncture. I know there's a lot of different, like, remedies that people seek out, right? But here's the thing, right? So what else do you know about, what do you know about mental health and mental, and mental struggles, mental illness, as far as its popularity? That's what I want to know. It's usually popular. It's almost like a badge of honor. Right, this is what we see a lot today, right? What you're seeing a lot, especially with people your age, it's almost like a badge of honor to say that I struggle with depression. And that's not, here's one thing I want you to know. It's not anything to be ashamed of to struggle with different things. I want you to know that, right? It's, you should never be ashamed to struggle with anxiety or depression. or Because here, here's the deal, like those things happen. Okay, and here's something that we need to understand is that you have, on, you have a lot of things are on a spectrum, especially when it comes to theological issues, okay? And when it comes to health, mental health, you have this end of the spectrum that's extremely legalistic. Here is what it says. It says that if you were truly trusting in God, you wouldn't have these issues. Okay, it's an extremely legalistic and strict an inaccurate view. I saying like, all right, God, you know, God doesn't want you to have this. So if you have it, it's it's obviously you're doing something wrong. And if anyone has ever told you that, it's bunk. Okay, don't listen to it. It's garbage. However, you have the other end of the spectrum, which is okay. Yes, okay. It's not necessarily because you're doing anything wrong, but then you have the other end of the spectrum that is okay. This is just the way that I am. I'm just destined to be this way. You have this end of the spectrum that says, if you trusted God the way that you're supposed to, it wouldn't be there. Then you have this end of the spectrum that it doesn't matter how much you trust God, it's never going away. And we have to be extremely careful. Because it's kind of like when you're going down, the, when you're driving down a road and there's a ditch on either side. And you don't want to fall into this ditch, so you end up trying to steer this way and you end up falling into the other ditch. That's what happens a lot of times when it comes to different things like, like mental health and these other issues, especially like when it comes to dating and, and sexuality and different things. It's, there's a ditch on both sides, and we try really hard to avoid one ditch, and in so doing, we fall into the other. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is a biblical understanding of how we should approach the topic of mental health? Because I just told you two things that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't say, all right, well, you're just destined to be that way, and you should stay that way, and just embrace it, because it's gonna be, that's your life now. But we should also be very, very careful and say, look, you feel like this, but if you trusted God the way that you should, you wouldn't. Okay, those are both incorrect. So here's what we like to do. Let's break it down, okay? Let's break it down to its basic elements, okay? Let's break it down to what we know to be true. These are things that, okay, so, and, and this is what I do. A lot of times when you ask me questions, because here's the thing, everything that you do when it comes to interpreting Scripture, ultimately what it reflects back to is the character of God. Ultimately what it reflects back to is what do you understand about the character of God? Because if you have an improper view of God, then you're going to have an improper view of how you apply your knowledge of God. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay. So. Before we can, so as we go down this path, okay, we're going to go down this, but let's kind of start high level. We're going to start high level, and we're going to start to work our way in. Because here's the thing, we're going to talk about something tonight. It's, we're going to talk about it in a way that is pretty deep. And if we're not all on the same page, some of you can leave this place 
with, a, with an improper understanding of what I'm talking about, and you can leave this place probably pretty upset. Okay, if you were, if any, you can ask any of the volunteers who are in CYP Sunday night, we got pretty deep into this, which is easy to do with 20 people. But in a room of 60 to 70, it could be a little hard. But we're going to do our best. Okay. So here's some things that we know. Okay. What do you know about God? Huh? He's perfect. All right. God is perfect. He never changes. Okay. All right, so I want to say all good is going to go with perfect. Okay. Uh, so never change. Okay, hold on now. Hold on now. I can only write so fast. Y'all, y'all, y'all just popping off of stuff. Okay. All right. I heard, uh, Keelan, what did you say? Omnipotent. Okay, he can do anything. So in the, in the context of mental health, God, in the context of mental health, we say that God, is, that God is, is omnipotent. We are saying that God can heal. Right? We're on the same page with that, right? Okay. So, so God is perfect. So I know that God is perfect. I know that God does not change. I know that God can heal. And here's something we need to ask ourselves is, because these are all true statements. And I'm going to go a little bit easier with you guys than I did with CYP, because I grilled them on Sunday night. And well, here's what I did was, if you don't give me a verse with it, I'm not writing it down. Okay. Now, we're going to go a little bit easier, but here's what I'm trying to say. Now, as I write these down, can you think of a verse that backs these up? Because I know... Malachi 3.6, right? I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, Israel, you are not overcome. Hebrews 13.4, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, he, all right, I know he's not changing. Okay, what's up? Bingo. All right, God is perfect. Done. All right. God can do anything that he wants. Huh? Now you're good. All right, so, so the, that's okay. That's all right, all right? Because off the top of my head, like, I know, that there's, I know that there's one in Psalms that says the Lord does whatever he pleases uh, above the earth and uh, in the earth and out in the earth and in the heavens. God does whatever he wants, okay? So I know that God can heal. Okay, what else do we know about God? God takes care of us, okay? So God cares for us, all right? What else we got? God is just. Is that what I heard? God is just. All right, I heard God loves us. God is holy. So every, I'll, I'll, it's different than perfect, but I'm going to apply it to perfect, okay? He never leaves. Okay, so we're going to keep, there's, there's a couple other things that I want us to, especially when it comes specifically to the idea of mental health, okay? Somebody look up Deuteronomy 29, 29. 
And when you got it, just read that joker. Bingo, my boy killing it, right? Okay, so Deuteronomy 29, 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that there are things that are reserved for God to know and not for you. Now, God does reveal things to us, right? But here's the thing. God does not always tell us why. Does that make sense? So the secret things belong to the Lord. So I'm just going to summarize that with, with that verse. Okay, another thing that we need to know. God can heal. However, God does not always heal. Right? And this is very, very important. Always heal. This is very, very important. Okay, because there is a movement among mainstream Christianity today called the NAR or the New Apostolic Reformation. Okay? Some of you are like, I don't care. That's okay. All right? All right? And part of the theology of this, because here's the thing. If you don't know, like, I don't know anybody in this movement. I bet you know their music. Okay? So... This new, new apostolic reformation, one of their main beliefs is that it is always God's will to heal. It is always God's will to heal. So if God does not heal when you ask him to, it is due to a lack of faith on your part. Okay, here's the problem with that. First of all, there's a lot of problems with that. But one of the main problems is this. Who is it then that determines what God does? You. If God healing you is based on your amount of faith then you are the restricting factor of what tells God what he can and cannot do. It's a big problem because it puts you in the place of God, which is why it's such a popular teaching, <laughs> right? Okay, so that's a problem. You and I do not tell God how he can do what he wants to do or when he should do it or how he should do it. We can ask, but ultimately, he is the one. God is, here's another thing, Sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, very important for us to understand that. Okay, so all of these things that we've talked about, God is perfect, he is holy, God is never changing. God can, he- God can heal. God cares for us. God is just. God loves us. God never, I didn't even finish that word. Okay, God never leaves. Sorry. My B. All right, God never leaves. The secret things belong to the Lord. He doesn't always tell you why. God does not always heal. God can he always heal, but God does not always heal. God is sovereign. Okay. These are very important points. We're just going to stop there. So now what we have to do is we have to look at this idea of mental health and mental illness we need to look at it through the lens of this. Does that make sense? Okay. Just to kind of back up a few things, too, that I have said. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul, and he's writing verse, verse uh, excuse me, 
verse 7. He says, so to keep me from being conceited because of, this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, that verse, whatever, Paul is, it has a thorn in his flesh. Now, that's how he describes it. We don't know what that thorn was. Many scholars think that it was uh, bad eyesight, right? Some scholars believe that it was potentially like some struggling with some depression and anxiety in his life. We don't know. We don't know if it was an emotional thorn, if it was a spiritual thorn, if it was a physical thorn. But here's the thing. There was something in Paul's life that was dragging him down, right? Something in his life that was dragging him down that was a problem that he begged God three separate times for him to take it from him. And God said, no. Now, God said no because what God is saying, what did God say? He goes, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. So what he's saying is that in your weakness, you are forced to rely on me, which allows God to demonstrate his strength in you. So here's the thing. In the area that you are the weakest, is the area that is the most potential to glorify God by him strengthening you in a way that you cannot strengthen yourself. So he's saying, allow me to be everything that you need me to be in this situation. And here's the thing, God's grace is sufficient to allow you to be content in the circumstance even though you're struggling. So even in the struggle, God is sufficient for you to give you the grace, the peace, the contentment that you need. And in so doing, what you display to the world is that my God is so good that even though things aren't perfect at the moment, I have a perfect peace and a perfect joy. Does that make sense? Which is oftentimes why God does not heal. is to display his goodness to all people. Why? Because life is about glorifying God. Now, we're going to look at the idea of mental health and mental illness through this lens. Through this lens. Now, I know that this is also something, and we're going to, as we're starting to go, like, some of you are going to be like, I don't like what you're saying. Because here's the deal. A lot of us, the God that we worship is not the God of the Bible. A lot of us, the God that we worship is the God that we've made up in our imaginations. Why? Because whenever we read the Bible and we see these characteristics of God, we say, that's not the God I worship. It's like, well, homeboy, if that's not the God you worship, then you are in trouble. Because that's the only God that saves. All right. So, look at mental health through this lens. One thing that we know about mental health and mental illness what do we know about mental illness? What? It's bad, right? So it's not God's design, right? Not God's design. All right, well, let's stop right there. Okay, so here's what I do. I do this, and I encourage you to do this. You ask me a question. So I'm going to do, all right, what do I know to be true about God? 
All right, and through that lens, what do I know to be true about the situation that you've asked me about? Okay, so it's not God's design. However, God is good. God is totally in control. And God is all, that God is all powerful. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this. I want to I test you, okay? How can something not be a part of God's design if God is in control? If he allows it, okay. But if God is good, and then here's the thing, and I'm telling you this because you're going to go to college one day, and you're going to get smacked in the face with this, okay? I took a philosophy class in college. And this is one of the first things that they talk about. Okay, and you've probably heard this. If God is all good and all powerful, then why is there evil in the world? All right, okay. Because of the fall, okay. But here's, so, so here's the thing. You, we also have to understand this. Explain it to me as if, as if I didn't grow up in church. Because we say the fall, and we all know what we're talking about, Adam and Eve. We all know that. But... Jim Bob, who's never even heard of the name of Jesus, you say the fall, and they're like, like, the season? Like, what are you talking about, right? It doesn't make any sense. Now, okay, so if, 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 God, if, it, if God is in control, God is all perfect, God is all powerful, but the world is broken, and this is what the world says. The world says, if God was all good, God, may, God is either all good, but not all powerful. So he is all good, but he's not able to change the brokenness. Or he is all powerful, but he's not all good. Because if he was, then he would change the brokenness. Does that, does that make sense? That's what people say. Now, there's a few logical fallacies with that. And one of them is this, is that their measure of good is based off of what they say is good. Right? So they're saying, if God was all good, he would make things the way that I think it should be done. Oh, so all of a sudden, so you have the perfect understanding of what is right in the world, right? So that's a very arrogant claim to make, but that's not the point for tonight. Okay, so we're going somewhere with this. Okay, so we say the fall. Okay, so what do you mean by the fall? Okay, sin entered the world. Okay. Humanity's imperfections. Okay, so, so, so human sin has led to the brokenness that we see. Is that what we're all saying? Okay. Then, then are you saying, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. Okay, this is fun. Okay. Are you saying then that my anxiety disorder is because I've sinned? Well, that's exactly what you just said. So explain that to me. Explain how brokenness is due to sin, but my brokenness I'm experiencing is not because of my sin. How does that work? Okay, the world is broken because everyone has sinned. So my mental illness is because of someone else's mistake? That doesn't seem fair. Here's the thing. You guys are answering these questions correctly, by the way. I want you to know that. You're answering the questions correctly. I will tell you this. Not a single person has mentioned Scripture. See, this is where, and here's the thing. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not, I, I, I swear to you, I, I want this to be encouraging to you. And the reason is, is because I want you to leave this place equipped. See, my job as a student pastor is not, hey, let's just come have some pizza, play some wonderful games, and then we go home. 
If you don't leave this place equipped, then I've failed you, right? I've failed you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to answer these questions. Because it sounds like my anxiety disorder that, I'll go, that I go through or my mom's epilepsy is because of her sin and my sin or someone else's sin, which doesn't seem just or it seems kind of cruel. So, and here's the thing. Like, I know some of you are like, you're kind of taking this too far. I'm telling you, this is the way people think. This is the way people think. All right, Romans chapter 8. Because here's another thing we need to understand is how does Adam and Eve's decision, you know, however many thousand years ago, like, how does that lead to me getting a cold? Here's the thing. You're right, but how? Why are you right? And this is what we're talking about. Like, everything that you believe, can you back it up with the Bible? Because here's the thing. When you can, then, boy, you are grounded in something that no one can shake you from. All right, so Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, on, that is to be revealed to us. And right, now listen to this. We're getting deep. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Listen to that. That's the answer. For the subjection, or sorry, for the, for the creation was subjected to futility, brokenness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that being God, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, let me explain what I just read to you. This is what Paul is saying to the church in Rome. God has subjected creation to brokenness and futility so that mankind would seek something greater than the brokenness. Ultimately, him. Now, why would he do that? Because sin because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, sin entered the world through one man, so righteousness entered the world through one man as well, that being Jesus, right? So when we see that because of the sin of mankind, right? Now, we're making sense. We're making leeway here, okay? So what happens is sin enters the world. Now, mankind is eternally separated from God, headed to an eternal hell. So what does God do? If God allows creation to go on with no brokenness, then there's no motivation for man to seek something great, so in so doing, they are happy, 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 and they go to hell for eternity. However, God has subjected creation to futility, allowing for brokenness so that when the brokenness sets in, man looks to God, for, repents of his sins, is redeemed, and ultimately is saved for eternity. 
So what has happened is God has allowed for temporary brokenness for the redemption of mankind. So what we have now is brokenness is not a part of God's design, and we know it's not a part of God's design because he didn't make the world that way. And when he restores the world at the end of time, it will not be that way. But he has allowed it to happen. Why? Because he is sovereign. He does not always heal because he is sovereign. Why? Because he loves us. Well, what does that have to do with love? Because you and I are headed to hell. However, he allowed for the brokenness to what? Ultimately heal us. Why? Because he is perfect. Does this make sense? Okay. Like, this is extreme. Like, because here's the thing. What we have just done is answered the question. How can a good God allow for evil? We have answered the question. Bingo. Done. That's why whenever somebody says, oh, I got one for you. If your God's so perfect and he's so all-powerful, why does he allow evil? Here's the thing. If you take your Bible seriously and you trust that the answers are there, you have an answer to that question. It's not that hard. Right? So now what we've done is we have this, and but here's the thing. Now this goes with all of this, but that leads to the next logical question. Does God cause problems? Because that seems kind of bad. How can a God who is perfect cause brokenness? Ah, seems like we have a problem. We have a conundrum here. Okay, Cody, you got your hand up. Go for it. No, you're good. So if we've, if, we've, if we've acknowledged, okay, God has allowed for brokenness ultimately for our eternal ultimate good. Now, where does the brokenness come from? Does he cause it? And if he does cause it, how can he be perfect? Okay. I can see that. But if God causes bad things to happen, what you got? Okay. All right, so what we have here now is we have that God is not the one inflicting the brokenness, but God is allowing the brokenness to take place. Okay, let's go to the book of James. Go to the book of James. Now, is this making sense to everybody, by the way? Because I really hope it is. If not, I'm just confusing the tar out of you, and I'm sorry. It makes sense in my mind. Okay. James 1.13. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he he brought forth us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does that say? That says that God does not cause bad things to happen. He does not bring bad things to happen. And we see this to Austin's point in the book of Job, right, where he allows, so, so, so here's the thing, all right, so if God is not the one bringing this brokenness, then who is? Satan, okay. Now we have the example of Job, but I want to give you another example. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We are hopping all over our Bibles today. 
All right. Have any of you done like sword drills when you were like little? Yeah. That's right. That's like early 2000s youth ministry. First, First Corinthians 5. First Corinthians 5. Okay. Now, all right, so here's, so there's a situation going on in the church in Corinth. And it's rather scandalous, okay? It's rather scandalous. Paul's writing to them, and this is what he says. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So homeboy is getting physical with his mom or his stepmom, which is, which, you all right? (laughs) Right? Okay. Now, now here's the thing. I want you to listen to this. Listen to what Paul says. All right. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So basically, Paul is saying, Yo, kick home slice out of your church. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has done such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay, what in the world, all right? So they're saying, okay, you need to remove this man from your church and deliver him over to Satan. Okay, whoa, all right? In hopes that his soul may be saved. Okay, so, so, so let's, let's back up, Paul. Let me back up. So you're saying that I should allow this man, I should kick this man out of the church, allow Satan to do to him what Satan wants to do to him in hopes that somehow Satan is gonna save him, okay? How? All right, remember, why does God allow brokenness? To cause man, what? To look to him, right? Even an atheist prays when they're about to die, okay? So, so, so to cause man to look to him. Now, so, so, whew, here we go. All right, so Satan causes the brokenness. And this goes back, bless you, right? Satan causes the brokenness, and in so doing, what does it do? It's for the salvation of the man's soul. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. How does homeboy, all right, this is that grody man here, okay? They say deliver him over to Satan. Okay? Yeah, it's a weird-looking pitchfork. All right, how does this going to this lead to this? Ultimately, what does it do? Like we just said, in Satan causing brokenness into this man's life, what it does is it causes this man to look to Christ. Okay, so now, now we have an answer for why brokenness exists, and we have an answer for who causes the brokenness. However, who is in control of how much brokenness that Satan is allowed to inflict? God, why? Because, bingo, he is sovereign. And this is where, and you read the book of Job. So this idea of hand him over to Satan, that phrase is used only one other time in the Bible. Only one other time in the Bible. Trivia, does anyone know where it is? Job. 
to the book of Job, right? When God hands Job over to Satan. Now, if you know the book of Job, that junk gets depressing. Job loses everything. Job loses everything. Now, and in so doing, what happens is Job is just in shambles, right? His kids die. His house uh, gets destroyed. All of his animals die. Uh, interesting, though, that God does not kill his wife, uh, right? And what he's doing is the, his wife basically says, just curse God and die, is what she says. Which is like, uh, whoa, Sally, like, back up, okay? Right? She says, just curse God. <laughs> so, I thought that was funny. All right, so just curse God and die, right? Just curse God and die. And he's like, and what happens is throughout the book of Job, you see Job lamenting and crying out to God, and he ends up starting to question God. Now, one of my favorite sections of the Bible is when God answers him. It's Job chapter 38, and he goes for a couple chapters. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. Okay. Now, is God loving? Yes. Is God tender? 100% he is. Can God lay the smack down? Definitely he can, as we're about to see. Okay. This is God speaking to Job. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further and here shall your proud waves stay. So God is saying, where were you when I made the world? Because you're so smart. He's like, hey, where were you when I told the ocean how far it could go? And he goes on. He does this for like two chapters. It just, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, golly, right? And what do you have? Is you have ultimately, what is Job's response to this? What is Job's response? I mean, like, he, he, he goes in this. Like, I encourage you, read it. It's like four chapters, Okay. Job 42 says, then, the Lord, then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here I will speak and I will question you and you make it known to me. I heard, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent. What do we see ultimately in Job's brokenness? He repents. And in so doing, Job is better off than he was in the beginning. Now, ultimately, God restores everything back to Job. And you know what I find amazing? We know this story, and we know that it's, you know, in the beginning, if you don't know the story, the first two chapters, you know, Satan comes to Job, uh, comes to God, and says, you know, basically, hey, allow me to attack Job. Or God says, have you seen my servant Job? 
He worships me all the time. And Satan says, well, he only worships you because you give him everything he wants. And what happens is, and, and Satan says, allow me to hurt him. Allow me to cause these things to happen. I bet he doesn't anymore. And then what happens is God allows these things to happen. And we know in hindsight why these things are happening to Job. But you know what God never tells Job? God never tells him why it happened. We know why it happened, but Job never does. Thus, where we are today, the secret things belong to the Lord. So what do we have? We have now answered why bad things happen. Why bad things happen, but God is still good. Why bad things happen, but God is still all-powerful. Why bad things happen, but God's not the one that causes them. Well, why bad things happen if God's not the one that causes them, who, you know, ultimately he is the one that is in control of how much that bad stuff is allowed to happen. But it's always for the purpose of focusing us back to him, which is what our greatest need is. Because more than you need to be physically healed, you need spiritual health to be able to see Christ. And in so doing, what do we know? God's grace is sufficient for you to give you the peace, the joy, the contentment that you need to glorify him and to enjoy him forever until one day you die and all disease and sickness and tears are gone. And you see him face to face. Now, with that, let's go back to this idea of mental health and mental illness. We've answered why it exists. Now we need to ask, what should we do with it? Well, if we've answered why it exists, then we have one job. Point people to Jesus. If you're struggling with anxiety in this room, there is only one answer, and that's to look to Jesus. Every day. Every day. Learn who he is. Learn what he can do. Learn the fact that he absolutely can heal you. And you should always be willing to ask, God, please take this from me. James 1, what does it say? If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when you ask, you should believe and not doubt. But for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. What is that saying? When you ask God, believe he can do it. However, when he doesn't, know that he is sovereign and he is good and he loves you. And ultimately, he's not healed you because he loves you and that is what is best for you. I was at a funeral a few weeks ago for one of our old students. It's a tragic accident. I went to this funeral, and out of that, there's at least that I know of five people that prayed to receive Christ at that funeral. Think about that. A tragic event. I'll give you another example. My sister has two twin boys. Their names are Cameron and Carson. You've probably seen them around church if you come on Sunday mornings. They're these two little nuggets, and they have blonde hair, and they turn three in July. And they're like, Cutest things in the world. Um, when my sister went to the hospital, you know, to give birth and all this stuff, um, you know, it was just, things were just, it was, things were, were, were taking forever. It was hard. She actually ended up coming down with pneumonia. She came down with pneumonia, and what they were like, okay, like, hey, like, she's getting, she has pneumonia. We need to move forward. So what they did was they said, okay, we're going to have a C-section the next day. 
instead of time for the C-section because they don't want the, the pneumonia to affect the babies. So my sister's suffering through this pneumonia. Now she's got to have a C-section. And when, because of that, uh, the babies were born premature. They do the C-section, and what did they learn? They learned that Cameron, that the placenta had ruptured. What that means, for those of you who don't know, is that had they not done the C-section prematurely, he would have died. He would have been dead. Think about this. Had she not had pneumonia, that boy would not be here. Here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes God shows you the reason for the hurt. Other times, he doesn't. However, there is always a reason. Always. God does not allow things to happen for no reason. Why? Because he's in control and he is working a perfect purpose. Romans 8.28, for we know that God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when you're dealing with people who struggle with mental health, point them to Christ. If you're struggling with mental health, look to Jesus. If you're struggling to look to Jesus, surround yourself with people who will point you to Jesus. That's why what we have here is so important. Because sometimes it's hard to look to Jesus, but you have people in your life that can help you. And as Paul said, there is true contentment, true peace, and true joy found only in Christ. Because I know a lot of people who are perfectly healthy and they're miserable. I know other people, some people in this room, that have health issues that you would not believe, but they're some of the most joyful people I've ever met. So I want to encourage you with that. Hopefully this made sense, right? I will say I brought the whiteboard out, and I used it this time, it. okay? But um, so here's the thing. If you have any questions, because I'm sure there are, um, a lot of us, we like to go to Chick-fil-A after this. Uh, we go through the drive-thru. We circle our cars up in the Teen Challenge Goodwill parking lot. Uh, feel free. Not only me, uh, there's other volunteers that are there that can answer these questions. Uh, and know, like I said, ultimately, the Scripture answers your questions as well. All right. So I'm going to pray. Bless you, Zach. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to slide out of here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the fact that, God, we, whenever we're faced with these difficult questions, we know that if we run to Scripture, the answers are there. And that, God, we know that your word is sufficient to answer whatever questions we have. And, God, it may take time. It may take sweat. It may take tears. It may take hard struggle. But, God, we know that you ultimately are good and that your answers are perfect. And, God, we thank you. We praise you. God, I ask as we leave this place, Father, you would help us to focus on you, look to you. God, I pray that everything that we say and do brings honor and glory to you. God, for some of us who are going to eat, bless the food we're about to eat. And God, help us to glorify you with all of our words and our actions. We love you and praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Students Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students.